the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome everybody to the USL show. This is Phil and I have a special guest, Jeff Reuters back on the show. Jeff, you've been riding up a storm, man, uh, but it's for good reason. We've got good news. We're coming back. We're returning to play and I'm excited, man. Thanks for uh, breaking that news and how are you doing tonight? Yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, it's, it's good, man. I mean, it's, it, it, it's crazy to think after how the last few months have been, how tense just in general, I think the world is understandably about a global <laughs> pandemic. You throw in a lot of other things going on in the United States and beyond. Um, and it feels strange. I mean, to, to be in a spot where you're just talking about, you know, okay, well, how do we think Hartford Athletics going to fare against Tampa Bay Rowdies again next week? You know, <laughs> that's just such a, a different yeah. know, set, of, set of priorities to discuss. But yes, uh, we do have soccer coming back, which, which does genuinely help communities as a whole as well. Um, I mean, it's, it's something we all love, and it's, it is nice to have soccer back, um, even if it's not going to quite be the priority in terms of focus as it used to be because of other things going on in the world. So nice to have it back. Yeah, but yeah, but it's a good. It's for me. It's like such a good distraction, and it's something I'm I'm very much welcoming. But let's just start from the top, man. You've written some uh, very in depth articles in that you had a lot of paperwork to to skim to skim through for us, <laughs> and uh, you definitely summarized it very nicely. I'm sure there's a lot more details that you um, were able to leave out for us average uh, readers. But uh, let's start at the top, man. Sure. Start with the basics, I guess. We're coming back. Yeah, I think that's, that's the big part, is that, yes, the, the vote has cleared for the USL championship to resume play on July 11th. I would imagine that a League One announcement probably could be as soon as this week, too, like even midweek, um, a very similar term. Uh, when the USL voted on its return-to-play model, again, that, that vote from the, the Board of Governors, I think a week and a half, two weeks ago, that came back 22-13, uh, as reported by The Athletic, that vote was not about a specific competition outline. It wasn't saying, you know, we're going to play in divisions. We're going to be playing the full conference. We're going to be having eight teams in the postseason. We're going to have four teams, whatever. It wasn't about any of that. Nothing specific except for we're playing in our own market. And I think a big part of that is, one, pulling together a hub scenario like what the NWSL and MLS have done um, is harder when you have 35 teams and possibly 47 if you're trying to involve League One as well. That becomes pretty... Uh, impossible sort of uh, song and dance to choreograph. So instead what you're looking at is playing in individual markets. And if you're playing in individual markets, that does lead to further questions in terms of increased, seriously increased travel, uh, which has a multitude of liabilities in airports and hotels uh, and common spaces. Um, you have to sort through all that. You have to work through to make sure that the players and staff are kept safe because that is your priority and your obligation as an employer not to expose uh, your employees towards the global pandemic. I think that should be the priority over money, over anything else in not just soccer, not just sports, but anyone making decisions about what to do with their workforce. Um, but that's just me. And, and I think that uh, with that, there were a lot of points that once that vote came back and the players and the league were hashing out the final parts of their agreement, uh, which really was the final main hurdle to clear before play could be announced as resuming officially late last week, um, those were the big topics. And so that's what, I mean, summarized 55 pages of documents over at The Athletic, the big takeaway points that you look at things like travel, things like lodging, things like training, uh, match day, how that's going to work. If you're going to host fans, if you're able in your municipality to host uh, attended yeah. crowds of even hundreds or low thousands, how do you do that safely? Um, all of that stuff is uh, very important to be able to make 
players chiefly think that, yes, we can go about this in a safe way and I'm not being put at risk just for a few extra dollars. Yeah, so you actually, you hit on some really important things there is that in my discussions with the USLPA, I kept hearing, and in your reporting, I kept hearing the repeated phrase talking about safety during COVID was something that really mattered to them. And I thought it was interesting that it wasn't just uh, the USLPA members that they had to convince in this way. This vote was voted on by the players. It needed a 66% player majority across the entire league. So they're not, their target market is not the USLPA. Their target market is every right. single player in the USL. I thought that was cool. And that's a daunting task, too, when you're a representative. And this is both the PA, you know, the, the three main uh, figures, Connor, uh, Trey, and Tom. Uh, who are trying to coordinate all of this, but also the club reps who are tasked, one per club, sometimes two, with speaking with the whole locker room, getting into your WhatsApp chat and saying, like, hey, how do you feel about this? How do you, what, what's your concern? What's your biggest worry? Which markets are you worried about? What's going on in that city? How do we get around some of these issues? Like, you're having to wrangle all of that data together, bring it to the club reps, bring it to the exec board, and then they have to hope they didn't lose the game of telephone Hmm. that they didn't miss key details and that this vote didn't fail. Because if this vote had failed last week, it's very hard to see a way they could have pulled off a second vote anytime soon. Yeah. Because presumably that's because there are major concerns. If there are minor concerns, if there are some small details that you're like, uh, you know, you, you might be able to cast yes. And this was all done online. It was a 24-hour window where every player could log into a portal, probably a Google form, um, and fill it out. And I'm sure there was like a slight comment box. And I'm sh- if there was a comment box, then you could say things like, yes, I'm approving, however, I'm concerned about X, Y, Z. And then you have to go through those points. Um, it would have been a major deal if that had failed, because that also would have implied some things about the Players Association, which are conversations we don't have to have because the vote passed. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that was a process where it's hard to imagine if this had happened in 2018, 2019 still maybe would have had some of the same uh, lack of coordination, just because at that point you were only a few months into the, the PA being the recognized uh, bargaining representative, so there would have been less of a rapport. The, the, the club representative chain of command would have been less fleshed out. Um, yeah. Very hard to think. I mean, like, look, players might have been forced to take like a uh, at the end of the day, if there wasn't this players' association, that's a huge win for the players. Some of these stipulations about traveling, um, about match day, about who is allowed and where they are allowed to be at games, those are victories for the players. And by proxy, um, uh, that's also a victory for the club yeah. and the league as a whole, honestly. Yeah, it was insane. You you mentioned I keep quoting your your comment and your original story about the first offer and the counter offer. How there's this giant rift between what the players want and what the league proposed in the first one, and then the counter. I mean, it was an in, it was a huge rift. I just at that point I saw it and I thought this is never going to work out. You know what I mean? And right. so God, we've come a long way. And also, like you said, thank God the USLPA is there to make sure that first offer wasn't the only offer that anyone ever got right. the whole time. Absolutely. And, and I think it's important to clarify, too, because I know that, you, I mean, this is truly, I mean, uh, it's a national show. You, you've got people coming from other clubs. And I've said this on a couple of club-specific podcasts, but I think it's important to point out, too, that when the league is making those offers, quote-unquote the league, mm. uh, that's not just Alex Papadakis, Jake Edwards, um, and Brett Louis sitting down in a room and saying, like, we're going to ask them to take 20% take us. We're going to ask for, uh, you know, X dollars if they get housing, X if not. It's not those three. Mm-hmm. It's a labor committee of, I think it's about nine owners, give or take, um, who are speaking with every club in the league about what's best interest. They will give you up three or four per owner, as well as obviously their own club. Go into these conversations and say, we as clubs want to make this request. So it's easy to say, and I know that early on in these, when the negotiations were so blatantly, um, I mean, it looks cynical. When you consider what USL players make, frankly, from my perspective, it was a very cynical ask to say 20% on these wages of players who are earning less than $10 an hour. Yeah. Um, that's absurd. 
in my personal opinion. But that wasn't coming from a league level, which is how it was framed in these discussions as league versus players. Yeah. These were clubs' requests. These were the numbers that clubs felt confident in putting to the table and said, we'd be happy with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so working through that process and getting it to a point where, I mean, again, ultimately the players aren't taking pickups because the league has relief, uh, as reported by the athletic side, $5.5 million spread across the 47 clubs. It's $117,000, which doesn't sound like a lot in terms of even a second division, third division professional soccer team, but that is five or six times what these clubs would have been saving with the pay cuts that they themselves were proposing, mm-hmm. which were astronomically lopsided against the players at that point. And they're still saving only about $20,000. Yeah. So this makes much more sense. The league, in my opinion, did the right thing in setting up the stimulus package, in helping waive, I would imagine, some of the, the, the club's annual dues um, to make sure that they're seeing a little bit money back so that they're hurt even less by the lack of attendance or certainly the scaled-down attendance from what they would see as ideal in an average season. Um, these things really matter. And I think that once that relief came through, that was the tipping point where it became a much easier point of content where the the league and its clubs could relinquish that request for player compensation adjustment. Yeah, and I even and maybe you can clarify yes or no. I'm not saying this is definitely true, but I got a feeling that um, because in some ways the league the players were saved by having a USLPA, but I was told by multiple people like this idea of it's him versus him it's player versus player and so it was a little bit more contentious perhaps because it was a quote negotiation that everyone was coming with their best offers as you can in a business in my experience even it it gets really ugly at first and then you work through it and you come out with a good deal in the end which i do think has happened but um you know to a certain extent this could have been lawyers and businessmen duking it out at the beginning finding a huge rift and then finding something in the middle It, it gets ugly right yeah, it was it was definitely, I mean, there were points where, um, I think it was on a podcast early last week, and again, like last week, we're talking about this, and it's like, oh yeah, foregone conclusion, they fixed it. We're talking three days before this vote happened. Mm-hmm. This vote happened on Thursday. On Monday, I was on a show in Birmingham, um, Alabama, not England, and I was uh, being asked about... Uh, you know, what is the status of these negotiations? Where are they at? We haven't heard anything in a long time. Counter proposals haven't been leaked, um, which means that they weren't really concrete, which means that they weren't to a point where they could be presented elsewhere. So and that is something that's either very good because it means things are going at a steady along rate where there's no reason to really sit on an offer. You can just say, okay, well, let's tweak this, let's tweak this, and work through it quicker, quieter. Mm-hmm. Quiet negotiations are always a better sign than noisy negotiations. Um, but uh, as of Monday, I mean, there were clubs that were saying, you know, it, it looks less likely uh, than more um, that there won't be. A, it looks like there won't be a season because wow. um, I don't know where to going with that idiom. Uh, <laughs> it looks like at this point that gap is so significant, and that ill will might be possible where there's no way that you can play. And that was seven days ago. So wow. uh, look, these these moved around, moved along pretty quick. That stimulus was significant um but yeah you're absolutely right like i don't think it's quite going to be as frosty as the mlspa versus mls discussions which also had uh, i mean a a public threat of a lockout a couple of other things um having to renegotiate it after it was already ratified uh certainly will not be soon forgotten by the players i don't think it ever hit that point with the usl but that doesn't mean it wasn't contentious either. Right. No, in fact, in the beginning, I thought we were headed there. When MLSPA came out and said, we won't forget this. This was really gross and we didn't like how it went. Um, I thought USL might get to that point and um, it sounds like it hasn't. I mean, that's that's great to hear. Um, but at the same time, I, I thought it was really interesting since you mentioned MLS to kind of compare how MLS, I, I may have my numbers wrong, but I thought I read that MLS, the league itself, saw to lose a billion dollars or something around it. I don't know if that's true. Oh. They said that. Yeah, they said that. I mean, there there are some serious questions about how they got to that number, and (laughs) and you can point things out. They're like, okay, well, maybe it's only, air quotes for people who are listening to this and can't see me doing this, um, $700 million in lost revenue. And you can say, oh, it's only that. And like $300 million, when you're talking this scale, is a lot to be off with your estimates. But you could say that there's maybe some liberal scaling for emphasis. There was maybe... 
people are quicker to mention a billion dollars on a radio show, on a podcast, on a TV network, than they will say, well, that was maybe 700 million. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's something that gets people to pay more attention. I totally get that. Um, so I, I, everything I can tell, and I do still report on MLS in my role, is that that was an exaggeration that a lot of even the clubs were wondering how the league got to that figure. <laughs> um, but at this point, like, I don't know, everyone's losing money. Yeah. Everyone is well, that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at is that um, you know their single entity. So the league took pretty much all of the hit for the most part. They took most of the hit. Um, but in this yeah. case, you know, you reported the 5.5 million dollars, I believe, going from USL League proper to all the clubs. Um, and you right. mentioned that being a turning point and everything. That's because the clubs were taking most of the hit rather than the league because USL is not single entity. And so they're the ones that were asking for those original crazy numbers. They were freaking out. And so I think all of this seems to make sense to me that, you know, it's not the league. It's not the Papadakises that are losing all the money right now. It was the individual clubs in our individual cities. Yeah, and, and that's so much harder to find kind of a one-size-fits-all because the amount of relief needed for an MLS2 affiliate, who frankly is used to operating without attendance being a major part of their bottom line, are very different than Louisville City, who are looking forward to opening a brand new stadium mm. this year, are very different than San Diego Loyal, who are looking forward to a couple of international friendlies, uh, a prominent one against Club Tijuana, uh, that would have done very well, I would imagine, for them. Uh, you're looking at a club like Union Omaha that hasn't kicked a ball at all um, and was... Uh, anticipating strong crowds at the league one level and frankly i mean when you look at the size of the market and some of the other markets the the championship is considering it's hard to hard not to wonder whether or not omaha is going to get a look someday but you need to play and prove that the market wants it and this is going to hurt for a brand new club that hasn't already established a baseline expectation of what 21 and 22 will look like under hopefully more normal circumstances yeah. Um, so it's really hard to figure out what is adequate uh, relief. What? How do we spread this out? Would we have given less to affiliates? Well, some affiliates actually do operate as if they're independent to a degree. If you're looking at like a Real Monarch, they take it a little more seriously, or like Red Bulls too, operate in a very different way um, than probably actually the rest of them in the championship. If I'm going to go specific with those two, um, so how do you how do you compromise that? How do you look at the difference of scale of a championship club and a League One club? I think it makes sense to split it up just 47 even ways. Um, hmm. and if nothing else you're still getting six figures to every single club so yeah. it's not as if there's going to be someone who feels really slighted by again financial relief all of these clubs probably could have applied for government loans as well for this qualifying as a small business with the number of employees that they have um, there are other ways that they could also get some sort of uh, relief yeah well it did it sounds like that was a turning point anyway that they did get the three figures or six figures rather to each club which is significant um and so now we have a way back we have a pathway back and let's talk about it being regional let's talk about how they're hoping there's going to be crowds as long as local governments allow it yeah i mean the the, the, the protocols, and again, all of this is summarized over on The Athletic. We're running a 30-day free trial for brand new subscribers. So if you're looking to catch up on what's going to be going on with the USL, look at the USL supporter survey. A lot of other pieces. Uh, go, go, go now. This is the time to do yes, it. Yes, please. Um, but with the thin portion, what the, the USL is looking at is um, regardless of what municipalities' uh, rules are, regardless of quarantine guidelines state by state, what you are saying is that there has to be social distancing practices within stadiums. And even just putting that in is enough to ensure that you won't have full attendance, to ensure that you will have to work at scaling back some degree to enhance the safety of fans at games if they're allowed. Again, um, you're looking at little things that, I mean, frankly, I mean, a lot of this part for match day, the, the language is not clubs must, clubs will be required to, which are the, which is the verbiage that you will see for travel, for training, uh, for lodging in other markets or hotels. Um, that is all mandate. But when you get to fans, it's a lot of it is clubs will be encouraged to. And this goes back to what you're saying about how do you find that rubric that fits every single club in the USL. Yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm expecting a lot of League One to be very close, if not identical, to this document, and I'd really love to avoid having to pinpoint through a second 55-page document. Yeah. I can. So, 
we make it very similar to USL. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're looking at a lot of stuff. Like, you should look into grab-and-go pre-packaged food items for concession. You should look into an online ordering system where fans can be told, go to the southwest corner, uh, you will be under number 143, and you pick it up at that spot, and that's your order. You go back, you sit down, you eat and drink. Um, fans, clubs should encourage their fans not to sing and hmm, chant. Big one. Good luck with that yeah. one. Good luck. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Um, I understand it, mm-hmm. and the, the there are more important things right now than goal songs. Um, but if you're allowing fans to come back, the second that you tell them how to fan, the more likely you are to have fans not show up. Yeah. Um. Well, and it goes back, and then well, then you get into a question of should sports even be coming back at all? And I right. Know that there's, uh, there's a lot of question. I, I Pablo Mario tweeted about State of Control. has written a lot about this too. Uh, about it, it, what's the point? Why are we doing this? You know, and and what is the what is the catalyst to put these games on? Is it because of the sport, or open your eyes, see the reality? It's a business, and they need money, and they need to find a way to get some sort of products for sponsors, for. Uh, any other promotional deals, broadcast deals that they have locally where they have to fulfill, um, owners actually getting a return on investment for the 2020 season. That's yeah. a huge factor. Yep. And you, you can you can frame it however you want to, but at the end of the day, that is the driver. That is the reason yeah. that this conversation is being happening. And that's why the whole country isn't just shutting down for the entirety of 2020 and sitting in our home waiting for 2021 and a brighter tomorrow. It would all go way quicker <laughs> if we did that. It's never going to happen like that. Yeah. Right? So... Likewise, if you're going to say, fans, you can show up, they'll wear face masks. That's fine. I mean, they should. Wear a face mask, by the way. <laughs> if you're listening to this, just wear a face mask. It's so easy. I don't understand not wearing one. Like, come on, just wear a face mask. Yeah. It's $5. Um, anyway, uh, if they're wearing a face mask and they start singing, are you actually going to go on the, the Jumbotron and say, fans, please refrain from right. as part of your goal call? No. Well, they're going to do that. Yeah. Are you going to have stewards in the aisles, probably less than six feet away from the closest person to them, to make sure that no one starts a chant? No. No, no one's mm-hmm. going to do that. Um, that is going to be something that's going to be very interesting to see, um, especially because, like, marches to the match, uh, pub to pitch. I don't know. Every club has a different term for it. Yeah. That has been put on hold in 2020 as part of these guidelines. Clubs are not supposed to sponsor these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, fans are going to find a way and yep. also they haven't had sports for a year at this point in some markets well, maybe not quite a year uh, but like eight months since the regular season ended last year or whatever by the time these games resume um, they're they're going to sing they're going to they're going to fan right like they're going to be excited to be there they're going to get caught up in the atmosphere even if it's not quite the same uh, I don't know some yeah. of these are going to be really tricky to police uh, and, and I'm very glad that that's not my job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so I love that. I love that they're doing like, it's almost like a libertarian approach as you were kind of alluding to that each region is going to kind of have their own rules. There's a lot of guidelines only. It seems like the safety of the players seems to be like really regulated. Like do not do this, do not do that. And so, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I don't think a club is going to put themselves in a position to regulate their fans and, and have mom and dad standing over them. I, it's just not going to happen. Right. I do think that's what everyone should be talking about at this point, because not, I'm just to reiterate, they're encouraging people to not sing, to not chant. They're encouraging no uh-huh. marches on or off of the pitch. Uh, no signing of autographs uh-huh. should be easy. That's understandable, but you know, there's going to be contention right. there. Uh, but I do think the biggest thing is that you know you mentioned the vote of the uh, the collection of the clubs having a vote on what style of, of return to play we're going to have, and um, right. that was the other holdout. It seemed like there were some owners that very much did not want to come back. They probably wanted to take their losses and just wait till next year or the year whatever we get year we get out right. of this. But having the fans back seems to be one of the only ways that owners maybe perhaps were um, convinced to go back, other than the stimulus money you mentioned already. That's, I mean, that was a huge sticking point of it, is that why would we play these games if we can't play it for our fans? Um, 
And again, you can frame it that really noble way if you want to. Uh, <laughs> but what do all of those fans have in common? They're spending money, money. at your club. Yeah. I think he's like, come yeah. on. Like, I don't know. Um, but you have to look at also the, the health. You have to look at the safety side of it. You have to look at um, there are, I mean, you're going to have an increased bench size. We're going to say a 20 man match roster. You're going to have club staff. Every club is going to designate 40 personnel who are either rostered, trialists, or staff, whether the coaches or otherwise, who will interact with the players. They're going to be considered um, uh, covered person, is how they're described in this um, uh, in, the, in these documents. Um, and for that, I mean, you're going to have 80 covered persons at a stadium at any time. Okay. Even if you're pulling some of the lower attendance figures of last year, and you say they're going to be able to play 30% capacity, that is at least 10 times more people in the concourses. And that's, again, that's a pretty bad draw mm-hmm. for the championship. If you're only, if you get a third as many people and you have 800 people, um, that's still 800 more people than would have been buying concessions and tickets than otherwise. So that's good, right? Like that, that helps. All of that definitely helps. Um, but that is a much more significant potential for a major outbreak and a major, um, I mean, it's like a pandemic bomb. It's like the the last Champions League game that happened between a club in Italy and a club in Spain. And then if you track where that disease spread in both of those countries and where yeah. the pandemic actually really stemmed from, that game was like a major moment where that whole thing went global because you also had fans going back to all corners of the world because they're going to a Champions League game. And let's be honest, the um, Atalanta versus, I can't remember which La Liga club, uh, that game's going to be cheaper than the <laughs> versus whoever else game. Yeah. So people were coming from all over the world to go to that game, to get the Champions League, to see young up-and-coming players uh, for a club like Atalanta. And that's where it really significantly spread. Um, so if you scale that down even again to a 1,000 people, you still have such significant risk. And yeah. no matter how well-intentioned you are, how, how you space out the concession lines, how many men's room urinals you knock out because they're less than six feet away from the next closest one, no matter how you do all of these other protocols, people are going to bump into each other in the crowd. They're going to bump into each other going up and down the stairs of their section. Yeah, There's going to be a risk. Absolutely there is. But they are painstakingly clear that they understand, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think I actually copied this sentence verbatim because it was so poignant in terms of how they address this. They list out all of the experts. So the three main medical experts, uh, Dr. George Chappell of U.S. Doctor, Dr. John McCullers of uh, University of Tennessee, and Dr. Howard Christman, the president of Northwestern Medical Group at Northwestern School of Medicine. Um, they, along with other clubs, were like working to kind of diagnose and prescribe what's the best way to go about this. But at the end of all that, they say, although no activity can ever be completely risk-free, our experts agree that these protocols are reasonable and rigorous, and that moving forward under these protocols involves a medically acceptable level of risk. It's still a risk. They're admitting it's a risk, right? Yeah. And I think that you can't look and say, like, oh, it's going to be totally fine. I don't have to wear my mask in the crowd. It's a risk. This whole thing is a risk. But it's a calculated risk. And you, you, you still have reason to be concerned about how this is going to go and, and what is going to come of this risk. But to give credit to the USL, I do believe that they covered just about every area of it that they realistically could have if they're going to open the concourse to fans. Yeah, and, and let's let's put that side by side of it with um, it's a major deal that we got this deal done in the first place. We're looking at what MLB and other leagues have been dealing with. I think it's showing how difficult this is and how amazing I think it is that they even agreed to give it a shot, to be honest. But, um, you know, I think in the way that our politics and our news cycles work, we don't have to be that way in the USL, but it's going to be... It's going to be tempting for people to put out articles like the USL is coming back and there's going to be fans and there are a bunch of idiots and this is very irresponsible. Um, And then the same thing is going to also maybe come out saying they're the first league to do this. Everybody's fine. There's no cases. You know what I mean? It's going to everyone's going to want to go one side or the other. And and I think kind of the way you you put it. this is my my side of this is that it's going to be somewhere in the middle you know like it's really amazing we got this to go it's really risky everyone be careful it's somewhere in the middle and uh, we'll see how it turns out right and the reality too is like uh, i mean again like every when you build a league that isn't single entity that doesn't have the exact same operating procedure in normal times 
it is so much harder to make sure that you are looking after the best interest. Is this going to be enough to play games in Oklahoma City? Maybe, right? Like maybe the maybe it's been spreading uh, much less in the area around uh, the stadium they play at. Uh, maybe Hartford, Connecticut is in a better spot. Maybe a lot of, frankly, these clubs in the Midwest, which is going to be yeah. more relevant to League One because for some reason the championship is allergic to expanding into the Midwest, <laughs> which makes my job harder, but whatever. Different podcast episodes. Yeah. Maybe in St. Louis. Maybe it's, it's, it's easier because yeah. you're out of St. Louis proper to adjust enough of an extent where it's less of a risk. Maybe it's more of a risk because uh, in, in rural and suburban areas, the spread goes at a much higher rate because there tends to be less in history, and I'm also speaking from experience in Minnesota, having uh, been in the Twin Cities and then being out of the Twin Cities, areas that are not highly populated and highly regulated tend to have zero people wearing masks yeah. anywhere. And if that's the case, then it's going to spread far quicker. And that's just the reality of it. Maybe, I mean, like we'll see what, what happens in Tulsa after uh, uh, Trump does his rally and you have 6,200 people there. Um, in a compacted space. Like 6,200 people, I know that he's going to be upset with that number. That's a lot of people we're putting in an enclosed building. Yeah. So how is that going to go? And how is that going to affect SB Tulsa and their ability to play games um, with crowds? You know, like, all of these things are going to be, your mileage may vary, and it's going to change mm-hmm. by every single market. They will be overkill in some markets, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that these will go further than some areas need in terms of pure health. But it's going to be insufficient for a lot of others, and frankly, probably more, yeah. uh, where these won't be enough to ensure that it's a realistic realistic prevention of the spread of, again, a global pandemic. So we'll see, man. I mean, like, I don't know. It's another one of those things in 2020 where you're just like, look, I, I could guess, I could make predictions of how this will go. I can tell you which parts of the country look like they would be hurt more. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. None of us do. Well, you can, you mentioned all the variables. I think it's smart of us all to be thinking about all those variables. Um, but there are a few more topics I kind of wanted to cover while I had you on um, in, that mm-hmm. sort of relate to this. MLS two sides may or may not be playing in this. And then since this is up to the libertarian style governance, there may be teams that um, clubs that don't have a crowd because of local rules and regulations about right. this. So those are two things I wanted to ask you about while you were here. MLS yeah, two sides. Um, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, everyone loves time, but MLS two sides. I think more than it's worth, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Um, so that's my views. Uh, I mean, like, look, I can tell you right now that it's not every MLS two club. Uh, okay, that cool. is accurate to say that there are still some clubs who are uh, even looking forward to playing in 2020. Not just like, oh, we should do this. Oh, we need to get minutes for young guys who I guess to play these games. No, they want to. They're eagerly looking forward to it. You can probably guess your USL championship yeah. defending champions <laughs> want to defend their title. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not speaking out of turn if I'm saying that Real Monarchs are really looking forward to this 2020 season, yeah. even in the current system. And again, by the way, I mean, they're also owned by someone who is propping up the end of USL Challenge Cup, which is having its own challenges, uh, as we see today Saw in Orlando. Yeah. Um, but I think that MLS two teams... I'm trying to decide how much to do in on this. Uh, <laughs> this is dangerous ground here, Jeff. Yeah, screw it. it, it there's, it's worth keeping in mind, it is not an opt-out. When the return to play was voted on, there was not a simple find your nearest exit, <laughs> proceed accordingly if you feel unsafe, come back into this car when you're ready. Okay. The car is going to be driving. There is no way that you're able to jump back into an airplane once you jump out of it. Hmm. It's very, very tricky. You can find another smaller airplane to bring you back up in the future that's going to find it in its route, but that's going to be really hard. I mean, that's like the plot of the final third of Interstellar. So I, I, I think that it's worth keeping in mind, if anyone opts out of this, it is not a guarantee that they would be back in the USL Championship ever. Mm. I think that that's something in mind. That's not just MLS 2 teams. That's the independent club, oh, damn. multiple, who are currently looking into how will you take 2020 off into 2021. You have to renegotiate your franchise charters, and that's really important Ooh. because those franchise charters, it's, it's, it's 
a tangible thing that, that isn't real, like so many things in American soccer where you make up allocation money and people just believe it's a thing and there's no pile of allocation money. But we all believe it's true. <laughs> Franchise charters, expansion rights, they're not real, but they're tangible. Yeah. And as a result, you will see someone like Ottawa Fury go, well, crap, we are not being allowed to play in the USL because Canada won't let us. So let's just sell it to the highest bidder who happens to be a billionaire out of Miami. Perfect. Great. They have a club. They're going to be able to take their spot in 2020. There's no mess. Perfect. You will be seeing some clubs who may be forced into transactions because they don't want to play in 2020 and they don't have a viable way to make it worth the while to stick around until 2021. There are some clubs who maybe are looking for an out. There are some clubs who maybe aren't. And this is where it's getting speculative to agree. Let's just let's, let's, let's transition that a little bit. You may see some clubs who are struggling. You may see some clubs who maybe don't either agree with this decision and then what it might imply, or maybe they don't agree with other parts of the direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is, again, every single club is going to be in a different spot. Every single club is going to have their own views on this. Every single club is going to have a different relationship with either its fan base, its ownership, its staff, or the league itself. Um, And if you're to a point where you're going to try to opt out for anything other than your market is a serious risk for anyone who enters it, and there are some parts of the country like this, uh, where anyone who sets foot in that city, in that municipality, will have a heightened risk of contracting this, um, which leads to a whole other slew of issues. Um, if it's anything else than that, which it could be for a lot of people, then there is a little bit of risk as for the future. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I think that that's something I really want to make sure to clarify here. It's not just checking a box, no harm, no foul, okay, see you next year. Totally yeah. um, they will have to pay every player contract until the end date on the original contract. Um, they will have to provide housing as well on that timeline. Um, so it's not going to be as simple as a phrase like opt out, which I think is how most people covering the league have chosen to frame it. Um, and certainly how the original report by the Washington Post framed it as well. It is going to be a much messier thing if any club MLS affiliate or independent tries to go down that avenue. That's big. Uh, really interesting. Do you think, I guess my mind goes as, as a conspiracy theorist, do you think this could even be like a nice opportunity for the league to think, well, you know, are you in or are you out? This is a nice way to measure it and force you to make a decision one way or the other. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I said it conspiracy be, theory, so it can be in that no, realm. You can say that every, uh, every, every league has its strong members and weak members. Oh, and yeah. maybe the, the, the people who feel least inclined to work towards that practices for their specific club and market, even understanding the financial risk. Maybe some of those who are squeamish at that idea are also squeamish about other things moving forward, whether that's building new stadiums, whether that's improving their operation, whether that's um, working towards any ultimate progress towards promotion of relegation, which the league has now made one of its chief parts of its platform. So you have to expect that they want the club to be part of that. Maybe all of that is going to overlap. Maybe that Venn diagram is one circle. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they're not. And maybe you're then looking at some clubs who just are really in a tough spot right now. Maybe they didn't get their federal loan. Maybe they didn't. Um, maybe they're unable to get any sort of refund on their stadium leases that they don't own. Maybe they won't be able to host fans. Maybe they'll have all these other issues. Uh, and they would be fantastic clubs otherwise. But yeah. it's just the world has given them a shit sandwich and they have no choice but to leave the diner. Maybe that is going to be a circumstance, too. It's not going to be a blanket scenario for every single club because every single club is so different. Yep. It's not just that you have successful independence, not successful independence, MLS 2. It's not that easy. It's a whole section for these 35 clubs. And it's 35 clubs. That's so big. Yeah. That is so many clubs that you are trying to find a way to make it work across all of them. You can't possibly do that. You, mm-hmm. you really can't. And, and, I mean, you can't do that for 12 for League One, probably. It's easier, right? Like, you might be able to compromise on things to more of an effect where it's uh, possible to play in every single market. But when you scale that three times, 
you're not able to look after everyone with 100% detail. And I think yeah. that's just the reality of it, not just for the USL, but for any sports league. Major League Baseball is having this issue with 30 teams. NHL is having this issue with 31 teams. NBA was running into issues at first for 30 teams. NFL hasn't gotten there yet with its 32. NWSL has now seen one of its nine teams unable to play in the Challenge Cup because multiple members of the team have COVID. So it is different for every single league. This isn't a USL problem. This is a sports, for whatever reason, uh, whether it's benevolent or cynical, are really, really pushing to come back across the entire landscape, every level of the landscape, every single sport. And there are going to be risks with that, and there are risks that every sports league I think are worth taking. And I don't think we're going to know for another five or ten years whether or not it was a risk worth taking or whether it was truly foolish and catastrophic. We yeah. just don't know. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that was all interesting to kind of think about and uh, talk about for sure. Um, let's shortly touch on uh, something very important, um, but that we necessarily shouldn't have the last say on, but I think it should be mentioned. Um, we've both seen a lot of coverage of different styles um, over Black Lives Matter, and I want to definitely make sure, if I just say one thing here, it's that you need to listen to the Backyard Footy podcast um, that he had, like, dude, he had, like, 12 people on one podcast, and I thought, oh, God, this is going to be a disaster, and those guys those guys killed it. Those guys killed yeah. it. It was amazing stories, haunting stories, um, and so I want to make sure everybody goes and listens to that. Um, you know, it, it definitely brought tears to my eyes at times. Um and uh, definitely exposed me to things that I didn't even realize was, was going on. But um, I will also say that the USL, um, something cool that I have actually been proud of them over the years is that they have a bit of a hands-off policy as far as people wanting to express themselves in that way. And so um, the league got those guys from Backyard Footy and, and got their their opinions and put it out in their initial um, statement about Black Lives Matter. What was it, Brandon Miller and Hugh? Um, I think those guys were the ones that were talking about it. The league put that out directly. It wasn't you know white guys in the front office. It was actual black players talking about that and giving their opinions. I thought that was great. Um, but here's Jake mm-hmm. Edwards' statement about uh, players expressing themselves in the pregame and postgame situations. Uh, this goes to fans as well. Uh, there's never been a policy preventing that, and we encourage players to util- utilize their platform as professional athletes to stand up for what matters most. I think that's great. Am I shilling for the league? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, they're not Ben and Jerry's right now, you know what I mean? And so, uh, but right. I thought that was kind of right. nice. I, I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to add to those situations. Um, you know, I, I think that that's important. I think clubs and leagues, the USL included, many of its clubs giving Juneteenth off, um, working in to existing employee contracts, talking beyond players to say that if, if you have a day where you need to go protest, you know, you can do that and you're not going to be risking your job. That is the sort of thing that they should be doing. Um, I, I think other things to keep in mind is that if you're actually going to improve race relations, discussions about race in America, um, and actually truly change it for more than a week on social media, but actually truly move the country forward in a direction that it should have been in from the start. Um, it can't just be black people. Mm-hmm. It can't just be the people who are directly affected by it. White people need to speak up. White people need to make mistakes. We all, I mean, like, it's not just me telling white people, it's me as a white person. Yeah. Right? Um, Same. Saying, like, I am going to mess up. I'm going to post something from someone who is it does not have right intentions. I'm going to be called out about it from my black friends. I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to improve. And that is how we need to move forward. Right now, we're really scared of criticism as a society, as a world, right? Like, no one likes to be wrong. But choosing to see it as not like you're wrong, therefore you're bad, but you are learning and you're growing makes that a much more palpable thing. Uh, and, and maybe a much more palatable thing for you to swallow is probably a better way to put that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's something that you can handle. Um, and in that sense, listening is important. But at the end of the day, your voice matters. Your actions matter. Um, this is something that uh, Pablo Marrer, Meg Linehan, and myself wrote for The Athletic a couple of weeks ago. If there is any sport where the teams, the leagues, the players should be loudest advocates of where in all of sports it's 
soccer because it's the world's game. Every single team loves calling it the world's game, the beautiful game, uh, a global competition. We have, look at all of our players. We're going to hang up flags from Brazil and France and South Africa and Ghana and uh, South Korea of where all of our players are from. We're going to hang it up and say, look, multicultural. We're going to say we have a diverse fan base. Diversity is a pillar of our club, of our league, because we are soccer. Uh, we say no to racism. Uh, our game is fair play. Uh, all of these things, like every league, every club does this. Take it a step further. Be thought leaders in your community. Be Take a stance for something so meaningful and something that's so important, frankly, um, that is a thousand times to trivialize it and infinitely more important than your game. This is entertainment. Yeah. That's not like, it's okay, it's different. It's fine to admit it. Like, I know that we have this facade, we call it, we use war terms when we're talking about sports. We, we, we treat it like this hyper-serious thing. I have a career off of it, so I'm not going to pretend that I haven't benefited from that. Um, but there are more important things than this. And if you can use your platform to improve something well beyond just how, what kind of social media content you put out of your players juggling in a locker room and eventually getting a ball into a hoop, great, cool. Keep doing that stuff sometimes. That's great. You need to do that. But if you're just going to sit back and assume that your black players are going to lead the conversation on race, you have failed as a club, as a league. You have failed because you are not endorsing it besides a retweet. You are not saying, look, this is our stance. I remember uh, West Bromish Albion, a championship probably future Premier League club again, once in future Premier League club, um, tweeted out, Black Lives Matter, hashtag. And some fan replied on Twitter, and said, well, you lost the season ticket holder. And the, the, the West Brom Twitter admin just responded, great, we won't miss you. You can take that stance. No. Why is it that clubs, that leagues, are worried about pissing off races? <laughs> Why are these the people that you're still catering to for their money? Why is that a stance that you're not willing to take? If that's your place, you failed. And you do not live up to what you say you believe in because you're a soccer club. Yeah. Don't do this diversity stuff. Don't do fan appreciation nights. Don't do pride nights or whatever if you're going to be making sure that race is still by your jersey. This yeah. isn't the time for that anymore. Yeah. This really isn't the time for that anymore. And that is important. That is why soccer matters. That is why soccer is in a unique, unique space for this. Um, and this is why I hope that these clubs who have said we are taking the time to learn and actually create actions, create foundations, create charities to make sure that we are helping, I hope someone holds them accountable. I hope that they hold themselves accountable because if they don't, nothing's ever going to change. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is the first time um, – this is the first time I've seen people get upset because they were slow to respond in support you know what I mean like the PR thing initially at least the PR thing wasn't um, what are you going to say it was did you respond were you the last to respond why did it take so long you know I thought that was really interesting and it's just been very different and now it's it's being cheapened a little bit because you know my friend was joking how you know oh Trader Joe's sent me an email today telling me you know the Black Lives Matter and so is uh, so is Office Depot and you know like you're getting a million of these things and it's becoming a a bit cheapened and it's just the way it is Um, but there are still people out there saying things and telling stories and um, it's all real. I think podcasts are a really good medium for that, especially during COVID. So, um, you know, keep seeking those things out, keep having discussions. Um, You mentioned earlier, you know, as a white guy, I'm mortified uh, of saying the wrong thing and hurting someone. And um, you you just got to, you got to explore and you got to talk. I think you were dead on there. My wife, is so much better about this stuff than I am, embarrassingly so. I've been corrected five to ten times in the last week, but thank God I have been. You know, Evan, sure. Evan yelled sure. at me about that's something fine. this week, and it was necessary. <laughs> sure. no, and again, that's okay. It's necessary. That's yeah. it. Like you can't be afraid of that because you don't grow as a person if you're not called out when you're you're dated, you're insensitive, you're whatever. Like I know that people like to rag on PC culture or whatever, but like there is some value in making sure that you actually think about what you say and that you're putting yourself, you're accurately representing how you feel about the world and what you say. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with like, not just like blurt out your first thought and correct yourself and people will forgive you. Like 
people can be intentional. My whole job relies on me editing, whether it's for myself or other people correcting me and saying this word choice is wrong. Now, it's not about like I'm whatever using really outdated language uh, that's terribly offensive. It's not that in my job, right? It's just me, like, you know, forgetting to put a hyphen between two words, uh, definitely referring to a call that's an is instead of an are or whatever. Like, you know, that's fine. I'll do that sort of stuff. But that's a good practice to get in as people, whether you're talking about race, whether you're talking about how you feel, whether you're talking about, like, your views on Tiger King, like, actually be thoughtful about what you say because it has an impact. Yeah. It really does. And it's how you represent yourself in the world. Um, and that's, I don't know, to me that's important. To some people, maybe it's not. And I, I don't get it, so that's okay. That's yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's really nice that a lot of my conversations will end on empathy and that, you know, I think if you're empathizing and you're trying your best, um, that you're ahead of a lot of people in this country and around the world. So uh, let's just keep continuing okay. that um, and move on as, as, as we say that we will, Jeff and I, <laughs> I think we will uh, very much so continue to try to do that as human beings in this world. Um, any other thoughts about returning to play? This is a hard, hard shift here, but uh, any other thoughts about know, returning right? to play? Yeah. League One's on its way. I'm sure you'll you'll be writing about that soon, as you mentioned. Right, right, right. Um, I mean, just like stay tuned. I think that you can expect probably the competition format to be finalized first, then you can probably get a schedule after that. Um, yeah, the schedule then, is what I cannot wait for. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be crazy to actually be looking at a calendar and being yeah. like, this game looks easy. This one, they're going to have to rest some starters and like actually go see those thoughts again. Like, foreign concept to me again these days. Yeah. But yeah, you're probably looking at the competition guidelines first before the schedule. Cool. Um, so, so, so keep an eye out for those probably soon. Sounds good. Well, they have to be soon, right? Like, I mean, we've got like two and a half weeks until games are supposed to be released. I know. Soon is fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the players come back. They're starting to train on the 27th, which is around the corner. There's not much time before we get going here. So yeah, you're going to have your work cut out for you, Jeff. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for all your writing and, and accurate reporting you've had so far. It's It's been a, a joy to read. So thank you, man. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Keep up the good work.